Alright everybody, welcome back to Squad Tactica. We are going to be focusing very exclusively on Adepticon and the tournament scene and the Friday Night Pod that I played in while I was at Adepticon. So the previous episode we recorded was based uh, pretty much around the con, just enjoying the con, all the things you got to see, all the sights, all the sounds, kind of reviewing the stuff we picked up. Uh, but this group of episodes, be it one long one or two, you know, shorter episodes, is going to be diving just right into all of the competitive um, aspects of Kill Team. So as we get into the show, as always, we want to give a huge shout out to our Patreon supporters who keep the lights on, keep the podcast running, and just help support getting us these major events so that we can have episodes just like this one. Also, a huge shout out to Battlefoam. Discount Games Inc. and our brand new sponsor, The Army Painter. So we are adding on more and more companies that we like working with, with products that we believe in, and we've got a lot of exciting stuff to go over. Uh, we just got a shipment from The Army Painter, so we're going to be painting up some models, we've got some brushes, some paint, some tools, and just kind of going to talk a little bit, you know, in the future about um, what the uh, the Army Painter brings to the hobby aspect of the game. And I know a lot of people, you know, some people say, you know, things that, you know, hobby painters for, you know, newer stuff, and it's not super high-end, super quality and I, I tend to disagree I think that they have a lot of very strong products for the hobby gamer and as we've said before in previous episodes not all hobby things are meant for everyone not everyone means to be a crystal brush or golden demon painter um, you sometimes just need good tools good paints good brushes and you don't need to pay a fortune to get yourself a Kalinsky brush or something like that so I think army painter is a very very excellent way to start to get your uh, you know uh, what's what I'm looking for to get your foot into the door. So anyways, we'll talk a little bit more about the Army Painter later as we get deeper into, you know, more episodes. We've got some YouTube videos and reviews and things to talk about. But we are going to talk about Adepticon and the Friday Night Pod I played. So a couple things before we get into uh, the Adepticon scene, I wanted to talk a little bit about the list I brought. And for anyone who's listening, uh, shout-outs to Callan, who uh, bought Death Guard because I've talked about it so much. The um, big thing we've always kind of talked about on the show, and that's brought a lot of people into the ecosystem of Squad Tactica, is how budget-friendly Kill Team is. Warhammer 40k is very daunting. When you look at it from the outside, it's easy to look and see, you know, this person shows a picture on Facebook, and they've got like 500 million different models, and they've got 50 tanks, and they've got... Uh, Titans, and they've got all these things, and you know, you go online, you start to add up the math, and you realize, you know, this person's probably dropped ten, fifteen thousand dollars on an army, and then you realize, I don't want to do that. I'm not interested in doing that. That's crazy. Why would I drop a car, like an entire payment of a car, into plastic? And you know, those are extreme cases of miniature gaming hobby stuff. Uh, but if we're really honest about it, if you go to your local shop and you see people people playing an eighth edition game. They're still putting down a good, you know, even on a, on a lighter scale army, like, you know, in terms of models, we, we talk about like maybe Grey Knights or, I don't know, we're, we're not talking about Horde armies like Orcs or Imper Imperial Guard. You, you might see something like Harlequins. That may or may not be a great example, but the point I'm trying to get to is even a, a army that doesn't utilize a lot of models, doesn't utilize a lot of tanks, doesn't utilize a lot of vehicles, there's still enough on that table that... It can be daunting both in terms of the time invested to purchase, 
time invested to model, the time invested to paint, and then your fiscal implications, which would be, you know, a very, very cheap army realistically might be two or three hundred dollars. And that's like very, very budget. And most armies are probably running about five to eight hundred dollars. Once again, when you have a newer player looking at that, that's a pretty big investment. And most people don't just have that kind of money lying around. So when you look at Kill Team, it's a very player-friendly and budget-friendly option because you only need five models. Some some armies are just one box purchase, and some of those boxes are, you know, for Harlequins, like 40-something bucks. You could get, um, I don't know, you're looking at maybe Grey Knights. You can buy a box. Like, there's so many budget-friendly armies and the cost to get into Kill Team is very low. The threshold for hobbying and painting and modeling is very low compared to a big army like Age of Sigmar 8th Edition. So the whole idea of the podcast, and when we first started, was to not only talk about how amazing the game is, but just to kind of be honest about it and say it's very friendly to players trying to get into the hobby and it's even friendlier to people who are already in the hobby because if you already have models you just have to buy a rule book and you're done if you've never done this before you have to buy a rule book and maybe one or two boxes of models and you're done it's not going to cost an arm and a leg in years of your life it could cost maybe a few weeks a month of painting and modeling and that's really not that bad so when i went to adepticon i wanted to prove that I could do well with a budget army. Now, I did say in previous episodes, I was going for fun, and that still stands. I wanted to have a good time. I wanted to meet people. I wanted to play the game. I wanted to join the community and the scene and just kind of, you know, my first major convention tournament. So I was not going in the, you know, hopes of, you know, major preparation, major tournament scene structure, you know, doing all this homework and and trying to be this, you know, really crazy, super duper, hyper deluxe player. I was just trying to go have some fun and enjoy the game that we talk about weekly. However, I didn't want to scrub out. There was only three games. So, I mean, you know, at worst I can go 0-3. But I did go with the intent of, you know, playing well, uh, giving it my best and making, you know, strong strategy, uh, strategic decisions, tactical decisions. And, you know, not giving my opponent a free win. You know, they had to earn it if they did win. So I decided, you know, I'm going to play Death Guard because I really like how they play. I love talking about them. I think they're five up, essentially they're five up, feel no pain. Of course, it, it is disgustingly resilient. But in terms of, you know, old school 40k, sixth edition players, woo woo. You know, a five up, a five plus plus FNP is really, really good. For those of you who have no earthly idea what I'm talking about, Back in 5th and 6th edition, there was something called Feel No Pain. It was another save you could take. So basically, you'd have your armor save, and you can have a Feel No Pain save, which would be a 5-up or a 5++. And what that did was, you could basically it was on orcs. You could roll your t-shirt save of a 6-up, you generally failed it, and then you got an additional 5++ Feel No Pain, and then if you passed that you were fine. The nice thing about Feel No Pain was it was essentially an invulnerable save, so anything that just punched through AP and just obliterated your armor save, you could still run an FNP save, and if you got a 5-up on a D6 roll, you were fine. So Disgustingly Resilient is basically, in Kill Team, Feel No Pain. You're going to hear me reference that because it's a lot easier than saying Disgustingly Resilient over and over and over. So... 
talking about the team, I wanted to showcase that lots of players who you know went to LVO and people I talked to had tournament tier armies. And what I mean by that is they bought a couple boxes. Now, this is not super cost expensive, but they did buy a couple boxes of like Plague Marines. They bought some Pox Walkers, and it was more expensive than what I had. Not to say that it's right, not to say that it's wrong, but the premise is this show is all about making Kill Team as friendly as it could possibly be to players, both in terms of playability and budget. So I wanted to go to Adepticon and prove that I could buy one box of Plague Marines, two boxes of the $15 easy-to-build Poxwalkers, and get one win. That was like my goal. Hey, I can get one win. I didn't spend a fortune. I, I literally bought the bare minimum. You really do need two sets of Poxwalkers um, just because they're so good. If you can find a cheaper way to do that, which I'm pretty sure there's an easier way to get Poxwalkers, but regardless, I wanted to... Uh, push the limit and see if I could win a game or even my pod with a sub $100 army. So that was the the core basis of building the list because a lot of people you'll talk to will say, well, I built the list to prepare for this, prepare for that. Uh, mine was sin sincerely a much less strategic decision and much more proving a point that a player, a good player, a good commander can outperform the money invested in the army. Now, I want to make it very clear, if you only buy Poxwalkers, you cannot win tournaments. They're just not good enough. You can't spend $40 on some Poxwalkers and win the game. You do need a mixture of models and mixture of weapons that gives you the opportunity to make good strategic and tactical decisions. But you don't have to necessarily have the same meta list. You don't have to necessarily spend the same amount of money. You can outperform a budget list's, what are, I guess I would say, liabilities by using your experiences, your strategic um, prowess, and your knowledge of the game to win games. And that's what's really exciting is Kill Team, no matter how much money you spend, if you're not a good pilot, you're not going to win games. And that's what's really fun is being able to take lists that are not meta or even armies that people consider not top tier, quote unquote, and performing well, winning games, winning pods, taking, you know, the top slot in major conventions, major events. So I'm going to go over the roster and uh, the only mistake I made, I completely forgot because I was trying to build this roster probably an hour before we actually readied up to play. So I built everything in Battlescribe on my phone, and we're just going to go over the list. It was 19 models. So first of all, the uh, 12 Poxwalkers of the 19 are very simple. It's a three-point model. It comes with an improvised weapon, and that's pretty much it. There's not much more to, um, I guess, the model or the profile. Uh, I guess we can go over some of the uh, stats if you really need to, but uh, Poxwalkers are basically just fodder. They have a movement of 4 inches, weapon skill of uh, 5 up, ballistic skill of 6 up, but for some reason they have no shooting capacity, so I don't know what that's about. Uh, strength 3, toughness 3, wounds 1, attacks 2, leadership 4, a armor save of 7 up, which is impossible on a 1d6. So basically, you have to utilize their uh, Disgustingly Resilient, which is the Feel No Pain 5-up uh, save. Their improv that improvised weapon is Range Melee, Type Melee, Strength User, so it's 
strength three, uh, zero AP, damage one, nothing. So for three points, you basically get a little body that you can move around and capture, contest objectives. You can throw them into people to try and tar pit. Uh, tar pit is a ter uh, term that means um, you basically throw your three-point model into a more expensive model or a group of three-point models in an attempt to lock out uh, priority targets or really expensive targets. Or, for example, say your opponent has like a sniper or a really shooty model, but they're bad at melee. If you throw in a three-point model that they can't kill or have problems killing, the points invested in that superior shooting model are wasted because they're not shooting in the shooting phase. They're doing melee in the melee phase. So uh, being able to lock out models from doing what they're supposed to do with a you know cheap three-point model can help you win the game because that model is trapped. They're not really contesting objectives. They're not killing models. They're just stuck with these zombies who are trying to hug them. Uh, another thing that Poxwalkers are really good at as you can probably imagine, is you can hold down objectives a lot easier than your opponent does because there are three points. And if you have three pox walkers at an objective and your opponent has one guy at an objective, you are winning because you have more models and you're holding that objective down. Uh, pox walkers are great for screening your models down the field. You can just run a line of pox walkers and your plague marines behind them are obscured. That is a great thing to do for three points, giving yourself mobile cover Anywhere you go is really freaking good. Another thing that Poxwalkers are uh, surprisingly good at is when you're placing models at the start of each round, every time we played, I was running a minimum of eight Poxwalkers. In one game, I ran 12, or I'm sorry, 10. And being able to just throw down cheap, very flimsy, weak models is great because if your opponent, you know, is running only really strong models, like my first uh, opponent, actually, my first and second opponent only ran five models. They were Space Marines. Being able to just put down five Pox Walkers, and then my opponent had to put, dump their entire army onto the table, and then I get to place whatever I want, wherever I want to counter, is really nice. Having more models in your army gives you the opportunity to just wait, watch, and then counter which I think is a really big benefit for Plague Marines, Orcs, and Tyranids because you're generally running so many more models than your opponent that they have to set up their leaders and specialists, and then you go, cool, all right, I'm going to place my models here to counter you, and there's not much you can do because you just don't have the models to try and slow roll me. Um, so Poxwalkers are basically the utility of the Plague Marine list, and we've talked about this before, but when you have 12 Poxwalkers in your list, people get scared because they know you can run them. You can put 12 of these models into your list, and you know when you when you run your Battleforge kill team for a, a match, you can do that. And sometimes people are just like, I don't know what to do because everyone isn't prepared for you know, horde spam. Now, you should be, if you're going to any major event, you should absolutely be prepared for orcs spamming. Uh, I mean, you could do Imperial Guard spam, but realistically, you're, you should be afraid of Tyranid spam uh, just because it's really good. You should be running flamethrowers and, you know, means to counter that. But Death Guard are also a viable list that you should be afraid of for spamming cheap models. So that's the uh, utility aspect of the list. Now we're going to move into some of the nuts, nuttier bolts and pieces. So my leader 
Now, uh, people may or may not like this one, but I found him to be very efficient. I had a play champion who was running the um, plasma gun. Now, a lot of people talk about running the plasma pistol. I personally like the plasma gun because you get a 24-inch rapid fire range. You, It's not necessarily better or worse. I just like having that extra range because I have... Uh, I killed a lot of people with the plasma gun, and it was really, really nice being able to dish out two damage when I needed to. It was really nice having an insanely powerful gun to punch through uh, tough models with very strong armor. It's also really nice that you get even stock. If you just shoot it standard, you get a strength 7 AP negative 3. That, that matters matters a lot, especially against um, Toughness 3 little models. You can um, just just wreck people's lives because your your weapon skill is a stock of, or your ballistic skill is a stock 3-up. Even if they're at half the distance or obscured, you're running a 4-up, which has a 50% chance because you need a 4, 5, or 6. You generally don't try and shoot things with a 5-up. It's just bad. I mean, sometimes you have to, but on average, you're trying to pick off something that gives you a four up, especially if you're in double tap range. You know, when you have a rapid fire weapon, if you're within half the distance of the shot, so 12 inches or less, you get to shoot two shots. What's really nice is if they're obscured, but you're within half the distance, it's still four up on two shots. Generally, one of those shots makes it through. And at that point with a strength seven, and they're usually toughness three or four, if they're toughness three, you're double their um, your strength is double their toughness so you need a two up if they're you know just running a you know standard marine which is a toughness four you have strength seven you're looking on a three four five or six to wound which is a 66 percent chance it's really really high like regardless of what happens as long as you can hit them your availability to wound is really 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 high so on average you are getting through they have to make an armor say of negative three and, you know, most Marines are, you know, MEQ is basically a 3-up with a negative 3. You're looking at a 6-up. That's not good. If they don't save it, you get to punch through and hopefully kill them immediately. And that's just one of the things I really like about my leader having the plasma gun is uh, every game he was able to kill someone. And it was uh, it was truly glorious to see the leader just light up a plasma gun and shoot someone and kill them. Now... This uh, isn't always going to be the case for everyone. This is my personal preference. It's not the meta preference. But I, I believe having one plasma weapon in any list is very, very important. Just because there's a lot of armies that run uh, invulnerable saves. There's a lot of armies that have ways to you know punch through armor. And sometimes you have to kill something really quickly. And if you don't have a really powerful gun, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So plasma is an excellent tool to just beat up threats that you know you need to kill, especially if you're trying to contest an objective or your opponent is laying uh, a lot of models into a space that you need to start clearing things out. Plasma is a fantastic weapon. If you have the extra command point, you can always overcharge it, which gives you a strength eight shot. 
and a d2, which is just fantastic. And if you roll a one, you just pitch a uh, command point and hope to not roll a one again. It's very odd and rare that that would happen. Um, but this basically gives you the flexibility, the tool. It gives you the tool that you need to deal with major threats. And if there's no major threats, you still have a strength 7 AP negative 3 weapon that your opponent is just going to cry at. Because even Space Marines hate plasma. And, you know, Space Marines are like the stock thing you're going to see across the board. I mean, like, even if you see um, Harlequins, they're only running a 5 up invulnerable. So. You know, you can probably punch through your armor, but they still need a 5-up. It's really good. It's better than a 6-up, but it's not that much better. So, that's my leader. He runs 18 points. The specialists are the Plague Marine Fighter, who is clearly running the Flail of Corruption. This is an item we talked about early, early, early in the show, and we've been talking about it ever since. Flail of Corruption is just freaking nuts. It is a melee attack. Melee range, type melee, it's strength plus two, so you're swinging in with a strength of six, which, when you're playing against toughness three things, is really bad for them. You have an AP negative two, which is relevant, because, once again, if you're running a three-up armor save, this makes it a five-up armor save significantly worse, and, you know, you just don't want to deal with that. It's a damage of one, it was nerfed from D2 to D1, which, you know, okay, that's probably fair, just because uh, it's only, like, a three-point weapon, and it should not do two damage uh it's just crazy you can re-roll wound rolls of one which <sighs> for those of you who don't know when you attack with a strength six weapon so you swing in with ballistic skill or weapon skill three okay, i'm getting these messed up so you come in attack you need threes to hit so ones and twos miss then because you're strength six on average you're attacking we'll say an meq which is uh, fours across the board so your opponent has toughness of four you have strength of six so you need threes to hit you reroll ones which means basically anything that's not a two gets a re well is good so if you roll three four five or six you've wounded them if you roll a one you reroll which your odds of getting three four five or six are even higher so if you roll a two that's the only time you're like, oh, bummer, I rolled a number that isn't relevant. So the Flail of Corruption is just naturally, like mathematically and statistically, really, really powerful. On top of that, which this is kind of what makes it the nuts weapon ever, it states make D3 hit rolls each time you attack this weapon. As you can probably guess, my Plague Marine fighter has the Combat Specialist, which gives them three attacks. So you roll three dice... On, and they're basically D3s, and at that point, you determine how many actual attacks you have, which at the very worst is three. On average, you're looking at like five. So you have five attacks coming in at weapon skill three, then you go into strength six, rerolls of one. It, you can imagine you generally, I've yet to actually not get a wound through. And what I mean by that is, I've never rolled to hit, rolled to wound, and missed. So at that point, your opponent has a AP negative 2. They have to deal with that. Usually, they fail because you have a good 2 or 3 wounds coming through. At that point, you just roll your damage and hope to kill them. On top of this stuff, you have the Death of the False Emperor, which says uh, in the fight phase, if you target an Imperium model, which, guess what? A lot of things right now are Imperium because, you know, you've got your Space Marines, Imperial Guards all that stuff, those proc this ability, uh, each time you roll a hit of 6-up, you can make an additional attack. You're, you're just stacking attacks on attacks on attacks. The flow of corruption is basically like massive attacks. Now, 
it only deals one damage at the end of the day, but just the ability to roll out so many attacks in increases your odds to get that damage through astronomically. So most people try and kill my guy with the flood of corruption really quickly because they know he gets the job done and they should be afraid. He is a monster in combat. This guy is going to kill you and he's going to kill you with a lot of passion and a lot of damage. So if you ever play against Plague Marines uh, for the love of goodness or Nurgle or whatever god you believe in, <laughs> go Nurgle, uh, get rid of this model. It is really strong. Uh, next thing we have a Plague Marine Gunner. It's running a uh, Blight Launcher, which I gave the Heavy Specialist ability just because uh, with the Heavy ability, you either don't suffer the negative one to move a Heavy Weapon, which the Assault, the Blight Launcher is an Assault Weapon, but the secondary part of the Heavy Specialist ability is when you run, you can still shoot, and that is really, 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 really powerful. In fact, I'm pulling it up right now. It says, um, this model does not suffer the negative one. This is the passive. Uh, this model does not suffer the negative one penalty for shooting with a heavy weapon after moving in the preceding movement phase or for shooting an assault weapon after advancing. So basically you can get downfield pretty quickly on turn one and potentially pop some shots into your opponent because you've got a 24 inch range weapon. And it's really, really significant because you have 24-inch Assault 2, Strength 6, AP negative 2, damage is D3. You can reroll wound rolls of 1 for this weapon. This is what I was talking about with the Poxwalkers and being able to set up to counter your opponent. You can do, and I did it in Adepticon and other games too, you can do some real nasty tricks with a 24-inch Blight Launcher. Your guy moves five inches, and at the very worst, if you you know advance, you get one extra inch. On average, of course, because it's you know one to six, you on average get two to three inches. That essentially gives your blight launcher 29, 30 inch range at the worst, with a potential of 32 to 33 inches. Now, of course, this matters. You're going to have potentially obscurity, and you're potentially also going to have uh, half the distance like you're, you're on average always going to be more than half the distance of the weapon which makes your ballistic skill go from a three to a four so that does make your shots worse if you can avoid having your opponent be obscured you don't have to shoot at a five up regardless you should shoot anyways just because of the fact that if your attack hits that strength six is going to obliterate a lot of things because now the problem with the um, butt launcher is the hit once you get to the wound you're back to the same thing of on average things are you know meq marine equivalent toughness four you have a strength six weapon that means you hit on three four five or six and you reroll on one so as long as you don't roll a two you're probably going to be doing something with that shot so i think that the blight launcher personally is a fantastic um, it's an aggressive tool. It's a controlling weapon because you can force your opponent out of lanes Or if your opponent overcommits to a lane You can put this into that lane and choke out some of their bigger threats or some of their specialists um, This thing with you know having a negative 2 AP is relevant and the d3 damage is also relevant because you can potentially get a shot off It gets through and you get to roll three dice to try and kill your opponent That usually is a dead model so uh, the Plague Marine Gunner has the heavy specialty. Uh, I believe this is a very, very strong choice for anyone who's playing. Uh, the next thing we have is the Plague Marine Gunner. Now this 
uh, is probably going to be a choice people may or may not agree with, but I take the Plague Belcher Flamethrower with the Demolitions specialty. And what Demolitions allows me to do is um, I can add one to this model's wound rolls against targets that are obscured. Also, I have the custom ammo um, tactic that allows me to use this tactic when you pick a demo specialist from your kill team to shoot in the shooting phase. You can add plus one to wound rolls for that model's ranged weapons in this phase. So if I spend a command point, I can actually add two to my wound rolls. And the Plague Belcher is a nine inch flamethrower, assault D6, uh, strength four, AP negative zero, damage one. You automatically hit and you can reroll ones. What this basically means is if you're within nine inches, I get up to six shots. They auto hit. So trying to assault me is bad. If you are really desperate, I automatically hit, which means I just get free wound rolls on you, which is nice. Also, if you're obscured, I automatically have a strength five weapon. And if you're, you know, if I need to, I can just pay a command point and automatically make a strength five weapon. The reason I do this is because Strength 5 is stronger than Toughness 4. And as we all know, the way the game works is if you're equal in Strength and Toughness, it takes 4s to wound. If you're 1 above, it takes 3s to wound. Well, guess what? We've been talking about this the entire podcast. I have the opportunity to hit you on 3, 4, 5, or 6, and I reroll 1s, which means the only side on my die that's actually dead is a two that means on average i'm dealing more damage and i'm getting wounds through and forcing you to take armor saves the more armor saves you take the higher probability one of those you know dice is going to stick you're going to take a damage and i'm going to get to either give you a flesh wound and you know make your make your models less effective or just kill you outright so this is kind of the flavor of my army is Wounding on threes, re-rolling ones, and you just kind of have to sit there and take it. So, I like how this model works. I actually have no problem. The, the big thing is a lot of people try and hide from you as you're playing with the Plague Marines because they're like, oh my gosh, here comes Poxwalkers. Oh my gosh, here comes the Plague Marines. We're going to hide. And then here comes the demo just kind of walking up like, oh, cool, you're obscured. <laughs> and you're kind of playing into my trap. I'm a control player in Magic the Gathering, so my entire ideology as a card game player is to force you into bad situations. I want you to make the wrong decisions, and I want to capitalize on you doing things you really shouldn't be doing. When you're playing Kill Team, you're mentally trained as a person to be obscured. You want to be more than half the distance away. You want to be obscured so you get those negative two penalties to your opponent trying to shoot you so that you stay alive longer. This works perfectly for me when I'm running the flamethrower because I don't care. As long as you're within nine inches, I automatically hit. If you're obscured, that's even better because I deal, I automatically deal more damage. Well, I automatically increase the strength of the weapon I'm shooting you with. And since Pretty much everything is a baseline of toughness three or four. If you're obscured, I'm wounding on threes. If you're toughness three, I'm, I'm wounding on threes already. It is so good. And I can pop, I can, <laughs> I can do something evil against toughness three models that are also obscured. I can pop a command point to make my flamethrower toughness six, which means I wound on two, three, four, five, six, reroll ones, which, as you can probably figure out the math, 
if you get a hit, which they automatically hit, you probably are going to stick most, if not all, of your wounds. And then your opponent just has to roll a buttload of dice, and they're going to fail somewhere. And then you just get to, uh, you know, put some flesh wounds on them or kill them. So uh, those are the three specialists I take. Uh, the one mistake I made is I took some Plague Marines without specialists, and I really should have given my fighter with the Great Plague Cleaver probably Zealot just because charging in you get that plus one strength plus one attack uh, so the plague marine fighter is a regular plague marine with the great plague cleaver you've got a uh, range melee type melee strength times two ap negative three damage is d6 and then you have the ability reroll ones for uh, wounding once again uh, which when you have strength four you're attacking at strength eight which generally means you're going to be rolling twos on average it's very, I mean, unless you face a toughness five mirror match with, you know, other plague marines, you're going to be, you know, wounding on twos, threes, four, five, six, reroll one, which is just nuts. Uh, it does say when attacking this weapon, you must subtract one from the hit roll. So you basically have a weapon skill of four. It matters that you go from a 66% chance to a 50% chance, but because you have two attacks, one of them usually sticks and at that point you generally get a wound and they generally don't survive the armor save and then you roll a d6 and see how many wounds or how much damage you deal so the great plague cleaver is another really fantastic piece of melee weaponry that you can just eviscerate your opponent especially if they have two wounds and you're dealing with primaris models uh getting this guy in there to just you know, slap him in the face, kick him in the shins, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this guy eats models alive. And like I said, I should have given him the Zelda ability so that when he charges in, he gets that third attack because that would have mattered. And that's something I'm going to do for the Dallas GT. Uh, the other thing I'm running are two stock Plague Marines. They have just got uh, Blight Grenades, Bolt Guns, Crack Grenade, Plague Knife, nothing special. Um, you know, they've got 24-inch Rapid Fire, Strength 4, AP 0, Damage 1, Shooty Gun. They're just there to kind of fill out the list. And, you know, people might be asking, well, why not give them upgrades or models? Uh, sometimes it's just really nice to have a Toughness 5 sponge, damage sponge, because they're hard. They, You know, everyone hits really easily, but the wounding part is the, the, the most difficult part, I think, in Kill Team. And having Toughness 5, generally people are like, okay, I hit on threes. Cool, I don't care. I wound on fives. That I care about, because now you only have a 33% chance to actually do something. Generally, I get an armor save, and then I get my disgustingly resilient uh, Feeling of Pain 5++. So you you have to jump through a massive amount of hoops that I don't have to deal with. You have to roll to hit me, especially if I'm at half the distance or I'm and, and or I'm obscured. Uh, some people have just the worst luck, and they have to deal with 4 or 5 up to hit, then 5 up to wound. And then if they get through... One die is usually all that comes at me, and then I have a 3-up armor save. If there's a negative AP, you're looking at a 5-up armor save, and if you fail that, you have a 5-up disgustingly resilient. Somewhere in there, you generally shrug off the shot, and your opponent feels really bad because you're just this super tanky defensive monstrosity. So bringing two stock marines is nice because sometimes your poxwalkers just can't hold the point sometimes you're placing in another horde army and you need something that's a little bit meatier to join in the fray 
uh, one of the games we played, I did have enough points to put a stock Marine in the list, and it mattered. Uh, he was able to put down suppressive fire with his bolt gun. He was able to capture a point, just kind of sit there, and, you know, once again, throw suppressive fire down lanes while he was, you know, capturing an objective. So there's a lot of, you know, leeway for uh, one or two very, you know, vanilla Plague Marines. But I think that it's a good list. It works well. And um, if I had to, I... Actually, those are that's every single model I own. So if I had to, I would put probably, you know, one more specialist if I needed to, because you can only have two gunners, two fighters, and I do. I have two gunners and two fighters. So the only real option I have left is either a, a plague marine stock or a pox walker, and I think twelve is enough. So you know, it's not super relevant to me that I desperately need one more stock vanilla plague marine on my list because I'm probably never going to use it. Um, so that's the list. It comes out to uh, 156 points overall. Now, the reason I'm saying that actually doesn't matter because when you play in a uh, kill Battleforge kill team, you only select 100 or less points from your list. You have to have your leader, and then everything else is, you know, you can r mix and match your specialist if you want, um, but you only need a leader and some models on the table. So that is the list. Let's talk a little bit about Adepticon and the uh, the setup for the game. So I have my tournament rules kit that came with Adepticon. Um, in a nutshell, you play three Swiss parry rounds. You get 90 minutes for each. Um, you are going on a point-based system. This is different from Nova, and uh, the GT here in Dallas is playing with the Nova 2018 rules, so that's going to be a little bit different than what I'm talking about, but this is something you should expect because people may or may not use this at your local tournament. Um, Nova and Adepticon are clearly the two most well-known miniature events in the world, so uh, knowing both and what they play is going to be very important for anyone who's uh, interested in getting into the tournament scene. Now, the one thing I did like about Adepticon was um, it did feel, and this is my personal opinion, but it did feel a little bit less rigid in terms of the tournament structure, in terms of trying to be super competitive and crush your opponent into the dirt and tell them that they're a piece of trash and I didn't vote for this emperor and blah, 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 blah. Like, everyone was really laid back. It was a lot of fun. People were very kind. Um, you know, there was laughter. We were even talking amongst ourselves with our neighbors who were next to us as we played. So Adepticon by no means was bad or lazy or had, you know, bad players. Like, the player, the people I played were very competitive. Um, but it just didn't feel like it needed to be a cutthroat uh, bloodbath, doggy dog experience. You could be a very well versed player and still have a lot of fun. And that was my favorite thing about Adepticon is uh, each game was a hard earned win. I none of them were just free, but the rules were not just insanely brutally strict. And I liked that a lot. Um, so the rankings are: you get three points if you win, one point for a tie, zero points for a loss. As you play the game, there are objective points. There are also secondary objectives that you can score each round. And at the end of the game, you have a total of points. And then at the end of all three rounds, whoever has the most points wins the tournament. If there is a tie, you go to, and this is what cost me the game, you go to uh, your army painting values. I don't know what they called it. They called it showing, which confused me because I didn't show them anything, so I had to ask them to clarify, and they're like, oh, um, during your your games, we come and inspect your army, we give you an assigned 
you know, value or score, and that comes into play for uh, tiebreakers. So if you and your opponent, you know, have the exact same amount of points for first place, then they say, okay, well, you know, this person has a better painted army, so they win. And that's fine because my army wasn't painted. I did the quick uh, three color paint scheme thing just so I would have a technically painted army. Um, so I don't feel bad that I lost, but I was just really, really impressed and happy to have gotten a tie for first place. Uh, with this budget army. So, uh, moving in, there's rules for miniatures, tokens, tactics, dice, blah, 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 blah. We're not going to get into that. Moving along, uh, we're going to talk about the really fun stuff. And that is going to be the secondary objectives. These were super duper 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 extra cool. And when I say these are super duper extra cool, I mean... I hope to use these in pretty much every game that I play, and we're going to spend some time and read through every single one of them, because uh, Adepticon really blew it out of the park with this one. Like, playing a match play game out of the core rulebook is fun. Having secondary objectives that are very intriguing brings Kill Team to a whole new level. It forces you to make choices. It forces you to assess everything you do in a turn because you may or may not want to give away what you're trying to go for. You may not want to hint at what you're trying to get secondary objectives for. Uh, you might. You might want to do that and try and get your opponent to fall into traps. Um, having primary objectives on the table that you're trying to capture is basically every war game ever. Hey, I'm going to play this game. Here are some barrels you have to control and get to the other side of the map or whatever. Like every single game is basically like, Hey, control these objectives over here, get some points. So that's not new. That's not interesting. And that's pretty boring. Having, uh, I believe there's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 having 18 secondary objectives is really cool on top of that each mission that you played only allowed you to pick a certain amount so like for the first mission it's called raised archive you have uh, one two three four five six you have six choices and you only get to pick three so you and your opponent may have some overlap you might not have any overlap you might have picked the exact same three secondary objectives and you don't really know until your opponent reveals them and based on your army composition based on the map objectives based on placement based on a lot of different things your secondary objectives can really really change the course and the pace of the game and it can also really heavily influence and it, it really does uh, your strategy and where you're moving your models and what decisions you're making because generally you and your opponent are going to be pretty neck and neck on fundamentally scoring the objectives on the table uh, every single play mission is basically uh, here's some barrels you have to protect there's one on your side of the map in your deployment zone one on their side of the map in their deployment zone and, <clears throat> and a couple in the middle Ooh. so at the start of the turn you're basically like i capture this one and your opponent goes i capture that one so you're already matched for points. You run into the middle, and generally you capture one on one side, and they capture one on the other side. So it's like, okay, I get two points, you get two points. Hooray! Like, you're looking at each other and, you know, singing Christmas songs over the ravine. That's not an interesting game. Nothing's happening. Then you introduce the secondary objectives, which, like I said before, you can score every turn, and each game is uh, four rounds. 
So generally, the people who win the, the tournament are each game are the ones who are scoring the secondary objectives, either the fastest or the most frequent. So let's go over these in sequential order. Attrition. At the end of the battle round, score one victory point if more enemy models than friendly models were taken out of action in that battle round. Very simple. You get one victory point if you kill more of them than they kill you. All right. Uh, going into the bees. Bounty Hunters. This is a fun one. When an enemy model is taken out of action, place a kill team token in contact with its base before removing the model from the battlefield. Score one victory point if a model from your kill team ends its move in contact with any of these markers and then remove one of those markers the model is in contact with. This is basically dog tags from uh, Call of Duty. I can't remember what it is, but basically in Call of Duty, when you die, you drop some dog tags. If you pick up, if your your team picks up the dog tags, you save your team from losing points. And if your opponent uh, picks up the dog tags, they get like 100 points. And then the team that hits like 5,000 points wins. So uh, Bounty Hunters is basically like, kill your model, put a little token on the field. If I pick up that token, I get an extra victory point. So it's really, really cool. I don't know how viable this is because you you're really telling your opponent where you're going like i didn't pick this just on the basis of if i kill a model and i put a token on the table they know for a fact that i'm going for that token and they should probably defend it i don't really want to let my opponent deny me victory points personally all right moving into the uh c's we have cut apart at the end of the fight phase, score one victory point if one or more models from your kill team made an attack that took an enemy model out of action in that phase. I took this as many times as I could because uh, Poxwalkers, believe it or not, can kill things. It doesn't happen often, but they can. I was also running my Flail of Corruption, which is a nutso weapon. We talked about that earlier. And the Great Plague Cleaver killed a lot of guys too. So a fight phase exclusive... Uh, secondary objective is really good for my list just because I have many ways of killing you in the fight phase and that victory point adds up real quick. Uh, cut off the head. When an enemy leader is taken out of action, score victory points equal to five minus the number of current uh, battle rounds. So if you're in round one and you kill the leader by some magical way, you would get five minus one, so four, so on and so forth. I never took this because... I felt that banking a lot of victory points in potentially killing their leader is a trap. I would rather have one victory point I can probably get over one or two rounds as opposed to trying to kill my opponent's leader by like turn two and get three victory points netted. Um, and like like I said, trying to like it, you really telegraph your your secret objective is just like I shoot your leader. I shoot him again. I shoot him again. It's like, why is he trying to kill my leader? My, my leader's got three flesh wounds. It, like, it doesn't really matter. Oh, trying to get victory points. So I'm just going to move my leader over here so that he doesn't really like do anything. And then by turn three or four, you're only getting one or two points. And that's just irrelevant. And you're still like your opponent is still able to gain command points, which they desperately need. So I, I unless you're running, I think the only it does have a picture of a. Um, uh, what's the new one? They're called the Dark Eldar. I cannot remember what the new name for Dark Eldar is, but 
Uh, it does have a picture of a Dark Eldar, which makes me believe that you could probably get a turn two kill if you're really aggressive with like Harlequins, just because they move really far. They have the flip belt and they charge on 3d6. Um, but that is just, for me, that's too risky and too aggressive. I want to slow roll, tank and turtle, and force my opponent to make bad moves, get themselves out of position, and then I just crush them. All right, the next, what do you call it, secondary objective from Adepticon is called Death from Afar. When a model from your kill team makes a shooting attack at long range that takes an enemy model out of action, score one victory point. Once again, this is a card I was just not really interested in because you're banking on two things. If you're shooting at someone long range, they're probably going to be obscured, which means as a Space Marine player, you're hitting on a five up. Those odds aren't good. Like, those odds are really not good. On top of that, you have to take the enemy model out of action. When your opponent is within one inch of a piece of terrain that is between you and your opponent, you can't kill them unless you roll a five or a six. So you're, you're automatically, like, this card basically says it's harder to hit, hit them, it's harder to kill them, and if you just happen to do it, you get one victory point. And that, to me, just seems bad personally. Now, if I was, I'm not a heavy shooty army. If I was more shooting friendly, I would probably do it, but I only have, like, my, my guaranteed shooter is my leader. <sighs> then I have a guaranteed six-inch grenade throw, which I guess I could try and kill someone at six inches, but that seems pointless. And then I have my blight launcher, which he doesn't really want to shoot things at long range. He wants to get them within, well, he either wants to get them at long range and unobscured, or they're obscured, but they're within, you know, 12 inches. You really don't want that five up. So I don't think death by far personally is a, I don't think it's a strong objective. It's not the worst in the world, but I don't like it for a secondary objective uh, based on the other cards that are coming up. Our next one is Domination. At the end of the battle round, score one victory point if you have more models from your kill team within three inches of the center of the battlefield than there are enemy models three inches of the center of the battlefield, not including shaken models. Uh, this was one I took very frequently because, as you're listening, probably could determine, I have Poxwalkers. Guess what? I have a lot of Poxwalkers. Also, guess what? I probably have more Poxwalkers than you have regular troops. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to contest objectives, and I'm going to set some Poxwalkers in the middle of the map and get victory points over and over and over and over. And if it's not a Poxwalker, I'll put my Blight Launcher and just shoot you from cover and get victory points every single turn I can. So Domination is a, for me, for my army, this was a very, very good secondary objective, and I was able to score many points from that card. All right, moving along, we have Engage on All Fronts. This is a fun one, too, if you have an army that just has a buttload of models. Divide the battlefield to four equal rectangles. Cool. A corner of each, uh, which meets the others in the center of the battlefield. At the end of the battle round, score one victory point if at least one model from your kill team, other than shaken models, is wholly within each of these rectangles. Well... <laughs> if you get Domination and Engage on All Fronts, that is just easy victory points because you can just stick a bunch of models around the three inches of the center of the battlefield you stick them in four quadrants of the battlefield and you're just getting victory points on victory points on victory points 
uh, when you have a ton of you know pox walkers, you can just throw them into a corner. Your opponent's like, I don't really know what you're doing, and then you show them engaged in all fronts, and they're like, crap, I don't want to send my models to kill that pox walker in the corner. I really can't deal with it and now you're just going to get free victory points like there was a game where i just sat my models in terrain where my opponent couldn't see them and they were like there is no way i'm committing a model i'm not sending anyone over to stop you so i'm frustrated because you're getting victory points and i can't do anything about it so if you have a lot of little weenies that you can stick in corners and hide. This is a really, really easy way to get victory points or to force your opponent to uh, diverge from their original plan and they have to come and stop you because you amass victory points so quickly utilizing a combination of, you know, engage on all fronts and potentially domination or other uh, secondary objectives. And, you know, they, they just have to kill you. They have to get you out of those quadrants. Uh, evaluate find you can only use the secondary objective in the raised archive mission this is the first one and it just states at the start of the movement phase if you control one or more objective markers you can choose a model from your kill team other than a shaken model that is within one inch of an objective marker you control and not within one inch of an enemy model if you do you score one victory point this model cannot be chosen to move react manifest psychic powers or shoot in the battle round and it can only be chosen to fight in the fight phase if it is charged uh, basically, evaluate find is hey, you get a free victory point. You use this on the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Use this on the objective that's in your deployment zone, and you just get a free victory point. Real nice, real easy, real simple. Moving on, high profile targets. This card is real good, real nuts, real powerful. And all it says is when an enemy specialist other than a leader is taken out of action, score one victory point. There were two games where this was a available card. And I purposefully decided to only run two of my specialists in order to deny my opponent the opportunity of getting three victory points. And this is kind of one of those weird things where I didn't regret uh, not making my great plate cleaver guy a veteran because I was able to field a insanely powerful model. And if it died, my opponent didn't get squat for it if they chose the high profile targets secondary objective. Is it the perfect uh, counter? No, but it was really nice that I knew for a fact that I could score three and they could only score two. So if it really came down to it, I had the higher potential of netting more victory points over the course of the game than my opponent did, while I was still able to field high quality models during the tournament. Moving on, we have Keep Moving. You can only choose this secondary objective in the Running Battle mission. At the end of the battle round, score one victory point if no models from your kill team are even partially within the battlefield quarter that includes your deployment zone. I wasn't able to score this because the uh, running battle mission also uses engage on all fronts, and I was uh, way more about doing the uh, stick my models in four quadrants of the map than trying to move everything out of one quadrant. Now because I have more models, because I have more flexibility, and I have more board control than most people do, uh, you probably are going to pick, you know, the engage on all fronts over keep moving. But if you have a small kill team and you're moving around as a unit, uh, keep moving is probably better for you. But keep moving for me was just not good. Moving on, we have Location Secure. You can only choose the secondary objective in the Capture the Strong Point mission. At the end of the battle round, score three victory points if you control all five objective markers. 
I will have to look at the Capture the Strong Point mission. I don't know if I actually got that. Let me see. Capture the Strong Point. No, no, that's the one I tied because there were five objectives. Uh, that's just a really, really, really difficult one because the objectives are not only scattered around the, the map, um, but like they're n it's not easy to hold all five because they're in weird places. Uh, moving on, we have mission critical supplies. You can only choose the secondary objective in the vital supplies mission. At the end of the battle round, score one victory point if you control the objective marker at the center of the battlefield. That is a fun one. Did I even play that? Oh, no, that's right. Okay, so some of these cards, Adepticon had six missions you could play, and we got, we didn't get that one. Uh, we got Raised Archive, Capture the Strong Point, and Running Battle, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the bottom half. So these would be uh, four, five, and six. So Vital Supplies doesn't actually trigger. Uh, proximity Alert. Now, this one is something I did do. This is a secondary objective that states at the end of the battle round, score one victory point if there's an enemy model within two inches of two or more models other than chicken models from your kill team. Well, I have boxwalkers. Do you know what those boxwalkers are doing? They're charging your models. Do you know how many boxwalkers are going to be within two inches of you? Quite a few. And you know what? They're usually there by turn two. So I'm just getting victory points super, super, super fast, especially if we're in combat. Oh boy, turn two, here's a point. Turn three, here's another point. Turn four, here's another point. Proximity alert is really easy for me to trigger for my list. It may or may not be good for everyone, but having a lot of models on the table, I mean, there's literally a picture of a gene stealer on the card. So Tyranids, Orcs, uh, Plague Marines, you can spam a lot of miles. And like I said, score one victory point if there's one and if there's any enemy model within two inches of two or more models. I mean, if you're being meleeed by two Poxwalkers, that automatically procs that victory point. So good. Super easy. Uh, next one is Recon Sweep. At the end of the battle round, score one victory point if one or more models from your kill team, other than shaken models, are wholly within the enemy deployment zone. I never picked it, I never had it, and I never got into my enemy's deployment zone. Other than one map, which this wasn't available because the deployment zones were right next to each other, and this would be dumb if you could do that. So I feel like Recon Sweep is a trap if you're putting a model in your opponent's deployment zone on average, there, there's two things that happen here with recon sweep. Um, one, the maps that actually let you have recon sweep. Let me look real quick. One, two. Yeah. So, um, wait, one more. Yes, yes, yes. So the recon sweep in the three maps matches we had, the um, deployments are the long ends, or the, uh, what's the hammer, a hammer and anvil, so you're the furthest you could possibly be away, and on top of that, there is an objective in your opponent's deployment zone, which means they're going to be sitting on that the whole freaking time you're playing the game, because it's free victory points, so recon sweep basically says, hey, run into your enemy's deployment zone, where they have guys, survive, where they have guys, you probably aren't going to have any cover because they're going to have guys there in the best cover. And, you know, if you happen to be there at the battle round and you're not dead, you get a victory point. That doesn't sound not only easy or smart. 
the other ones might be a little bit more difficult, but at least it's possible. Recon sweep to me just sounds like a suicide mission for the potential of maybe getting a victory point, which isn't worth it. So I'm, I'm not a fan of recon sweep. Moving on, we have uh, Sector Cleared. This is for the Pivotal Point mission, which we did not play, but it does state at the end of the battle round, and uh, I do want to say you can find all of the Adepticon uh, Kill Team missions online. They were for, they were posted up there for free. It's a PDF. Uh, you can print it out just like they did and play these at home. They have a page with all of these secondary missions on there, so even though you know I'm reading these off of cards that I got from Adepticon, you can get all of these for free on a piece of paper and play with them uh you know you and your opponent can like print you can print them out maybe sleeve them in a magic card with a, a basic land and so you know you can create your own cards uh to play with these secondary objectives but all of this information is free on the internet and it's it's openly available to anyone who's interested in trying out these missions and secondary objectives so sector cleared states at the end of the battle round score one victory point if one or more models from your kill team are wholly within each of two adjacent quarters of the battlefield, not two quarters that only touch at the center of the battlefield, and there are no enemy models wholly within those table quarters. Uh, reading this for the first time, it sounds very difficult. I wouldn't do it because you have to be in a quarter and your opponent can't be in that quarter whatsoever. You have to kill them off, basically. At that point, you're probably winning the game, so probably not worth the investment. Right, here's one we did play with, potentially. Uh, thin the ranks. Thin their ranks. At the end of the battle round, score one victory point if two or more enemy models were taken out of action in that battle round. I did not pick this one, but my opponent did because he was running Grey Knights and he figured he could probably kill two or more of my Poxwalkers each round to gain victory points. So this is a this is a really good counter to horde armies because if you're able to pick off multiple weak and squishy creatures that can turn into victory points very quickly even on as early as turn one if you have a long enough range weapon moving along we have scout the field at the end of the battle round score one victory point if there are models from your kill team other than shaken models within one inch of at least three different battlefield edges Models wholly within your deployment zone do not count unless they're within one inch of a battlefield edge that does not extend beyond your deployment zone, in which case they only count for one battlefield edge. Uh, we had a judge come and explain this to us because that's a lot of words. They don't make a lot of sense. Basically, he said, if you have a uh, model within one inch of your opponent's deployment or one, your opponent's edge and then the left and right edge, you get a victory point. Once again, this sounds even worse than uh, what was it? Recon Sweep, where you have to be uh, inside of your opponent's deployment zone. It's like, hey, if you thought Recon Sweep was hard, Scout the Field is just harder, because now you have to have one of your models near the left edge, the right edge, and your opponent's edge. It's just nuts. And if the judge was wrong and you're listening, you're like, Sugi, that's not how that reads, uh, feel free to correct me, but Scout the Field just sounded insane, because you have to have a model... You have three models allocated to uh, one edge on the left, one edge on the right, and, and one edge inside of your opponent's deployment zone, which they pretty much, once again, always have a model sitting there contesting or capturing an objective, which means they just get to shoot you in the butt for free, which sounds dumb. So I never took that one. Last one we have is Swift and Subtle. You can only use this in the yard-by-yard -yard mission, which I'm pretty sure we also didn't have. It states, at the end of the battle round, score one victory point if no models from your kill team made a shooting attack of any kind in this battle round. You know what my army doesn't do very well? It doesn't shoot. So I would have loved to play with this one because I could just 
melee people to death. Like, turn one would be easy. I didn't shoot anybody. Turn two. I probably would, but if I if I saw this, I would, you know, take obviously my flail of corruption, my great plague cleaver, and maybe like I would maybe drop my demolition for just a stock marine. So I could like run down the field, turn one, turn two, not shoot anyone, get into melee, and then turn three, start shooting things, you know, the, the stragglers and um, you know, cleaning up that way. But these are all the secondary objectives. Like I said, they add a lot of spice. Imagine that, you know, a kill team at Adepticon is eggs, and then all of these secondary objectives are like, you know, uh, uh, salt, pepper, Tabasco sauce, barbecue sauce, what, whatever you like on your eggs. It's just flavor, lots of different flavors. Um, we are going to end this first half of the podcast because we haven't even started talking about the games or the missions themselves, and that's easily going to take plenty of time so let's wrap up this episode right here right now with a big shout out and thank you to as always our most important sponsors of the show our patreons thank you to you for your support for your love for your encouragement uh, for all the kind words and you know just helping you know get this show into so many different avenues that i really didn't expect being able to go to Adepticon and do coverage like this, getting ready for Nova to do coverage of, you know, their events, of tournaments. I'm going to be playing in more Kill Team stuff, going to the Dallas Open later this week, going to hopefully, you know, depending on what happens, Gen Con and doing coverage from there. Uh, Just being able to travel across the country to meet such amazingly uh, fantastic people, play this game we love, and bring the highest quality entertainment we could possibly do um, from you know Dallas, Texas, into your ears. So thank you to all of our Patreons. Um, shoutouts to the Army Painter. Shoutouts to Discount Games Inc. and Battle Foam. All three of these companies are really, really amazing. They really believe in the hobby. They support the community, and they have you know a strong brand and name to prove it. And you know I recommend checking out each and every one of those names I listed. I'm going to be honest, you should always support your friendly local game store. But they're going to have products that we're talking about. They're going to have Battle Foam. They're going to have Army Painter. Um, If you don't have a friendly local game store, or, you know, it's still tax season, a lot of money can be coming in, you know, you want to drop a lot of money into the hobby, but you want to save a little bit, you know, Discount Games Inc. gives you 15% off, and if you buy in bulk and you buy more stuff, send an email to Jay at Discount Games Inc. He can tell you how to get a better discount. But the reality of these things is all three of these companies believe in the community. They believe in the hobby. They believe in creating products that will really break down the barriers that make this game seem so distant and so big and so daunting. Army Painter has paints and brushes and tools that make your life way easier at a price point that's phenomenal. Like, I like Citadel stuff. But it's so overpriced. I'm not going to BS it with you. Like, Citadel stuff is way overpriced. It's ridiculous. It's good. But it's stupid that they have $30 for a pair of plastic uh, snippers. Army Painter has them for like $10 or $12. That's a fair price. I have them. I use them. They work great. Why would I pay double that for the exact same thing? I wouldn't. I'm not going to. 
but I'm going to buy Army Painter because they get the job done. Their tools are fantastic. Battle Foam has phenomenal stuff to protect your investment and protect your, your, your minis while you travel. You really don't want to get to a tournament and, hey, my arm, belt, my, my arm fell off. My weapon fell off. I have to glue this thing back on. That's a pain in the butt. You probably didn't bring glue, and you really don't want to do that. It's so much easier to buy a small bag of foam. It's not going to break the bank. It's high quality. The foam is great. The bag is great. It's nice and thick, but it's not going to eat up a lot of real estate in your backpack or if you're putting it in your travel um, luggage. And like I said in the previous episode, Battle Foam actually has a team dedicated to helping people find what they need if they have no idea what they need. So check them out. Army Painter, Discount Games Inc., Battle Foam. Three companies that are fantastic, great brands, great names. I like them. I love them. And I think anyone who tries them out will enjoy them. It's not the one-stop-fits-all, but they fit a lot of stops. They answer a lot of questions. They help fulfill a lot of things that people need as they participate in this hobby. And that's why I'm working with them, because I believe in them. So we are going to get on out of here. This is the end of part one. We're going to be recording part two and talk about the mission packets, uh, each game, the plays, the strategies, the things I learned, the things I messed up on, how uh, the tournament scene has, you know, the tournament has changed my uh, perspective on the game and what I'm going to be doing going into the Dallas Open GT in just a few days. So we are wrapping this up. Thank you everyone for joining us. And as always, keep on killing them.